Let me get myself on here. There we go. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Romans, chapter 13. We're going to have our text begin at about uh, verse 8. Before we get into that, i, I got a question for you. What is love? I mean, what is love? I think if I were to get you guys to answer, everybody have a, a total different response into what that question. I mean, that question has been asked multiple times throughout every generation in all history. And, and while uh, you may want to figure out what you think love is, you may go to somebody who's a little more uh, wise in, in their understanding of things in this world, and you go to that special person and you ask them for the details and they fill you in. However, if you don't have that wisdom of the ages type of character, you, you will do like I do. You go to Mr. Google, right? So I did that this week. I went to Mr. Google and I asked him, what is love? Now, this was unique. When I asked what is love to Google, I received about 9,610,000,000 results in about 0.48 seconds. <laughs> I didn't have the time to read all those. But let me give you just a sampling of what first, second, and third came as a result of Googling what is love. All right, here's my brief overview. The first thing at the very top of the list said this, love is a set of emotions and behaviors characterized by intimacy, passion, and commitment. Oh, that's, you know, that, that's good, but it still seems like something's lacking in that. So I went to the next one, and it said this, love is an emotion that keeps people bonded and committed to one another. From an evolutionary psychological perspective, love evolved to keep the parents of children together long enough for them to survive and reach sexual maturity. Okay, so and until they're old enough to become parents themselves, I guess. Uh, so this is really what it's saying, that love is this glue that keeps us together for the sake of our kids until they can have kids? Mm, let's go on from there. So we went on, and, and we found this next one. I like this one. Love is a magical embodied sensation, right? It's sparked from an alchemical reaction of witnessing another person's heart and soul, and accepting, appreciating, and celebrating them just as they are in all their perfect imperfections. Ooh, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> you have to like me because that says it, right? I mean, that's it. In spite of all my perfect imperfections, you love me. What is love? Now, those definitions kind of almost sound a little cheesy to me. I think there's another place that maybe we can go to look up what love is. So I thought maybe we would go to the one who invented love, the author and creator of love, God. And let's see what he says love is. And so when we go to him, we find out in his word that love is a debt that we owe to God in which we pay to somebody else. Now, I never really thought that was the definition of love, but, but I think as we read today, we're going to discover 
that is in the essence of what real love is. It is a debt that we owe to God and which we pay to someone else. So let's turn to Romans chapter 13, verse 8 through 10. All right. Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not cover, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So Jesus then talks to us a little bit about what this law is and how it is fulfilled in this love. If you flip over to Matthew chapter 22, and we discover here in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Isn't that what you want to do? Just test him to see how, how good and how sharp and how smart he is? Well, that's what they did. So this is the question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All right, so <clears throat> here's where our focus is going to be this morning. It's what we, we've come to know as this godly or Christian love. What is it like? All right, so who is it that we are supposed to love in this manner? Well, first and foremost, we are told that we are to love the Lord, our God. Uh, that's a no-brainer. He made us, right? And, and he's, he's the author of love, and he's the creator of our being. So we would, in essence, just, just normally want to love him. Second... You are to love your neighbor. That includes all human beings, even your enemies. Jesus will go on to clarify that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 34, or 43 through 44. He, he will say, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. All right, so we're to love God. And we're to love our neighbors, but there's somebody else we're supposed to love. You're supposed to love yourself. Now, some think that Jesus' command means that we should love our neighbors instead of ourselves. But given a proper definition, it's crucial that we think of this kind of love even for ourselves. It's important because... This is the kind of love that God himself has for us. 
And for those whom God loves, we should love in return, right? So if he loves me, I should really learn how to love myself. A lot of us really struggle with that. We don't love ourselves. We don't love the way we look. We don't love the way we talk. We don't love the way we walk. We don't love a lot of things about ourselves. But we're supposed to love ourselves as well. And it's important that we do this. See, whomever God loves, we should love. But in our text this morning, here in Romans chapter 13, it doesn't just deal with love, but he's also thrown in another word that begins with L, law. So I think it's important that we kind of get a better understanding of what law is as, as well. Now, law refers to what we would call in society a law code a, a book of regulations and rules and expectations of how we should live and treat one another, all right? So this law code was supplied to us and applied to us by God who is our creator and, and is adapted over time as he interacts with people. And it has two main parts to it. The first part is this, that there are commandments which we are obligated to obey, Those are the commands of law. You must do this. And the second part of this law code is the penalties that are applied if we disobey. Now, we know that. I mean, there's always a don't do that. If you do that, this is what's going to happen. So we get this now. In every society, law codes have been created to bring what is often called morality or a moral law in its society so that people don't do things to one another that would be destructive. Now, in the Bible, we see that God has the, the same expectations both in the, in the structure of the Old Testament law through the law of Moses and in the New Testament law as well, which is the gospel a law as to how we live in righteousness and holiness. Some people, I think, mistakenly assume that the New Testament no longer has to worry about laws because we are under grace and so we don't do whatever we want, right? Because God's going to love us in spite of our flaws and imperfections, kind of like that one definition, right? Well, I think that's wrong. The Old Testament does not only speak about law, but it speaks about the grace of God and his redemptive plan that he has set forth in motion that will be culminated when Messiah would come and he would bring salvation to us. So there is grace and there is salvation dealt with in the Old Testament. It wasn't time for it to appear. Now the New Testament also deals with laws even though it is built upon the grace that is displayed in Jesus because now that we are saved by grace, how then shall we live? Francis Schaeffer has written a wonderful sermon and a book and a series on that. How then shall we live? Well, we live out righteousness. We live out holiness that has been expected upon us by God because we are now living under His grace. God is not only our Redeemer, but He is also our lawgiver. If you go back into Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22, we're told that the Lord is our judge. For the Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our King. 
And what? He will save us. So he redeems us as well. He brings us salvation, but he also is the one who holds the law over us. Now in our passage today here in Romans chapter 13, we're concerned with this connection now between love and law, and how do these two things work together? And, and, and these, there's, there's two things that must be remembered about this connection between love and law. The first is this, that love is the main motivation for obeying law. And law is the specific content of that love. All right? So love is the motivation to make us obey. Law is what love really is. So how does this work? The commandment of love consists in two different aspects. The first one is love God. And the second is love your neighbor. But both parts are included. In reality, when you go back into the Old Testament, we see that. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, we're told, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. But if you jump forward to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, we see that you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but what shall you do? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because I am the Lord. F.L. Godet put it this way. He said, love is not the law, in the law a commandment side by side with all the rest. It is itself the essence of the law. Love is just not another commandment that you can compare to all the other things. Love is the essence. It is the, it is the fullness, the, the, the being of the law. And because of that, then you fulfill it by living out those things. Love is, some would put it this way, love is like a finely cut diamond. And all the beautiful sparkling facets of that diamond are the law commands. Another person said that law is like a, a two-sided coin. On one side, you have the fullness of love. And on the other side is all the little commands that help to fulfill that law. So law and love cannot be separated. They have to go hand in hand together. So how did God decide which commandments to include in our law code I think there are two ways that he did this. The first is this. It's by God's own nature. All right? By his own nature, his rules uh, that he wants us to live by since we're created in his image. So what is his image like? Well, his image contains holiness. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Why? Since it is written... You shall be holy, for I am holy. Right, so because of God's nature, of His holiness, and we're created in that image, we should be holy because He is holy in everything we do. But there's another nature aspect of who God is, and it is love. And so we look at love, and, and 1 John 4, 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. 
And then he goes on and he says in chapter 4, verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So by the very nature of God, there's holiness and there is love that expresses how the law then is supposed to work in our lives. The second way is this, and it goes beyond God's nature, uh, is, is really what we have in us in our authentic, genuine, human nature since we are made in God's image, that determines the commands in, in, in of which we are to obey the law codes. By obedience, then, to these law codes, we discover our natural design. And, and then, then we have the fullness of our humanity when we live out faithfully by God's design. So, what is the main thing in God's nature and our own nature that makes us, in essence, work right. So we do what we're supposed to do, and we be who we're supposed to be, and we are who we are supposed to be, right? Well, the answer is this. It's love. Love becomes the essence of who we are to be and the totality of our humanity. So let's dig into Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. And, and, and the first thing that we discover is that love is that debt that we owe. So let's look at verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, in verse 7, which we looked at last week, uh, Paul began using this language of a debt or owing something. You owe taxes, you pay your taxes. You have that debt that you have to do. And he does that in terms of our moral obligations to our government servants, all right? Now, here in verse 8, he applies that, that debt to something that we do in our actions in our life. And that is expressed in the manner in which we love. Usually we see this term debt to apply to an obligation that we have to somebody because of something that has a monetary value to it. Okay? So it can be a money debt, which is, is when we bought or purchased a product or a service of somebody. We owe them financially. That's a debt. But there's also this moral obligation, this moral debt that we can have because somebody's done us a favor and now we feel obligated to do something for them as well. And it doesn't have to be necessarily give them money, but maybe give them time or go plow their field or babysit their dog or whatever it's going to be, right? Paul is saying that in all of this, as a kind of debt, Love is a little bit different than a money debt or moral obligation debt. The love debt is not something that we owe from something that we have received. This, this debt of love is something that we owe simply because of who we are. It's in our nature to love others because we were created in the image of God and and love is his identity, therefore, love should be our identity as well. Paul begins by saying, Owe no one anything. 
Now, now, does that mean that you can't take out a loan to buy a house or a car or, or go to college or anything? Well, that's, that's not what he's saying here. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of biblical scholars will say that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about is something totally different than that. As uh, a matter of fact, the New International Version, I like its rendering of this translation, this, this verse. And it says, let no debt remain outstanding. So in other words, what he's saying is that, that you should not take up a debt that you have no intention to pay. Now there's an exception to this rule. The debt of love. Did you catch that? Owe no one anything except, except, uh-oh, no, exceptions to the rules. There's always an exception to the rule in everything in life, isn't there? Here it is. So Romans 13, 8, he says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. And this debt is a debt that will never be paid in full. It's, it's, it's one of these, I'm never going to pay this off, you know? And, and, and I'm going to die before I get it paid off. And my kids are going to have to pay off the debt that I've created for them. You're exactly right. This is a debt to infinity and beyond. All right, so we are to love. Someone once said that you, you will never love in a position to claim, we will never be in a position to claim that what we have, that we have loved enough. So this debt of love is permanent. Owe no one anything except this debt. So what kind of debt is love that makes it so permanent? Well, love is a debt of obedience to God. That's the first thing. It is a debt of obedience to God. As, as our Creator, God has absolute authority over us, and He commands us that we love one another. And as Jesus had stated, the command to love God and to love our neighbor and others is really at, at the source, at, at the heart of what the law code is. The second thing is this, that you are, your love is a debt of gratitude. Not only is it a, a debt of obedience, but it's a debt of gratitude to God. John put it this way in his first letter, chapter 4, verse 19. We love because He first loved us. So the nature of our gratitude toward God is not that we present ourselves to Him as a gift of loving obedience, as some kind of payment for something that He has done actually. Our works of love are in no way attempt to pay Him back for what He has done because there's no way we could pay Him back for the gift of salvation that He has provided for us on that cross. Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 17, and in verse 17. <clears throat> verse 7 through, through 10. He says, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me, and dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward, then you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? Well, we know the answer. 
No, he doesn't. He's his servant. He's just supposed to, to work and serve him and do what he's supposed to do, right? So then he says, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. See, the point is that when we come to understand that we can never repay God for what he has done, it sparks a fire of love within us that we just simply are going to love because that's who we are supposed to be, and that's how we show our gratitude for God to God for what he has done, and it's in our obedience to the law. But something is still lacking. Paul uses that word that we owe this debt not only to God, but to our fellow human beings. We owe this to other people. And Paul specifically says that loving our neighbor is a debt that we owe there in verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. So in what sense do we owe this neighbor this love debt? Well, Love is, is, in essence, a debt of kindness to others. Not only is, is it this, this debt of, of, of obedience to God and of gratitude to God, but love is a debt of kindness that I express to other people. And this kindness is owed to those around us, not because they have done anything to merit our kindness, but remember, simply because we are who we are, created in the image of God. So Paul tells us in the next verse, in verse 9, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, now think about this. If we steal something from our neighbor, that, something that belongs to him, we are in essence violating this law of love your neighbor as yourself, is what Paul is saying. And if breaking the law of God does harm to somebody else, then we are doing the exact opposite of this debt of kindness that we should have. Therefore, the only way to love a neighbor is to not break God's laws. Because they go against somebody else in our actions. Owing others a debt of kindness means being obligated not to harm them in any way at all. And things that require by the law are the very essence of what it means to love somebody. So if I love you, I'm not going to steal your car. If I love you, I'm not going to kill your dog. If I love you, I'm not going to... We go on with all these different things, right? Now, it is the kindness that I express by not doing things that are going to harm you. Now, after... Confederate General Robert E. Lee retired from his military career. He was named president of Washington and Lee University in, in Lexington, Virginia. Originally, the university was named Washington Academy because George Washington had given it $50,000 as, as a gift to get them started. And the school changed their name in, in 1871 after Lee had left that, that university in honor of him and what he had contributed to it, all right? While Robert E. Lee was the university president, a new student came into his office, and he wanted to get a copy of the school's rules and regulations so he knew what laws they had in store for him. And Lee just simply told him that they didn't have any printed rules. 
But he made this statement, our only rule is kindness. If you are kind to everybody, you're not going to break anything against them. And that really summed it all up, doesn't it? Our only rule is kindness. And if I'm going to be kind to everybody around me, then I'm not going to infringe upon them in their life by my disobedience to things. I mean, I think this is great. Kindness is certainly uh, something good to live by. And, and if we are all lived a life of kindness to others, think about what this world would be like. So I owe you this debt of kindness, not because you have done anything nice for me, but simply because I am who I am. You are who you are, and God is who he is. So, law, Paul tells us, is summed up in love. Verse 9, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. He says, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, framed within that verse there, in verse 9, Paul is discussing the second aspect of these two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself, all right? So the commandment is this main element that he says within the law of Moses. Remember back in Leviticus 19.18 where it said, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against you know, the sons of your own people, but you shall do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because I am the Lord. All right? And here Paul is citing that passage of Scripture of Leviticus 19.18 as he's trying to get us into this new covenant law code of how we live as Christians. So who is your neighbor? Is it just our fellow Christians, just other people who believe in Christ? Because this is a Christian command, right? No, it's not just us that we are to love. The word for neighbor is placion, which when you go to the, the, the translation of what it really means, it means the one who is near you. So whoever is near you at that time, that's who you're supposed to love. It doesn't matter whether they are a foreigner from another land. It doesn't matter whether they're the enemy down the street who keeps tearing up your yard with his truck in the middle of the night. It doesn't, it doesn't matter who it is. Right? It's the person who's near you. So Jesus answers this question about, well then, who is my neighbor? With a little story that he tells about a good Samaritan. Jesus deliberately chooses to make one of the characters in his story Jewish. And he chooses to make another character in his story a Samaritan. And he does this intentionally. Why? Because as he says in John 4, 9, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So he's going he's to bring in this aspect of having two people who totally dislike one another, and he's going to create a perfect neighborhood. All right? So this is what he does. So these two groups of people are more like enemies, really, than they are friends. And therefore, Jesus is showing us that there are no limits on who this command to love entails. 
Paul will go on and he will tell the churches in Galatia in chapter 6, verse 10 of his letter there. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You're right. You're right. We have to be very kind to those who are in the church, but we've got to be kind to everybody as well. So when he uses this word, as yourself, in his command to love your neighbor as yourself, I think we're probably aware that that he's using the word agape here, right, for love. That word that carries with the idea of a genuine concern for somebody else's well-being and their spiritual life and their happiness because that's the object, right? There's nothing wrong with having that same kind of concern for yourself. Because if God is concerned about your eternal well-being, should you not be? However, when we have to make a choice between myself and somebody else, here's where there comes a rub. Paul then writes in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, beginning in verse 3 and verse 4. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others. What? More significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So when it comes down to if I'm going to love you more or am I going to love me more, I'm supposed to love you more than I actually love myself. Back in Romans, Paul then goes on to give some specific details here, examples of these commands of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And so he throws out these commands, right? The four chosen statements, they're found in the law of Moses. We call it the Ten Commandments, and we see that back in the book of of Exodus chapter 20, verses 13 through 17. This is just a sliver of the whole commandments, all right? He pulls out four because they really deal with our relationship to somebody else. And so these love commands simply means, if I love you, I'm not going to murder you. If I love you, I'm not going to commit adultery. If I love you, I'm not going to steal from you. If I love you, I'm not, I'm not going to covet your things. All right. So those are commands that are given to demonstrate that I love you. That I'm not going to do these things that are going to hurt you. Those are obvious examples of the nature of love. And love does not do those things. Actually, Paul sums all of this not doing things to others in verse 10 when he says that love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, if love does no wrong to a neighbor, love is then the fulfilling of the law. Right? So what does it mean in verse 9 that all such commands are summed up in this love command? Now that word summed up, anakephalai, it's a really Greek word, and it's the only time it's used except for in, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, where it's really speaking about Jesus, that everything is summed up or put under the head. All right, so it is, everything is underneath the heading of Christ in Ephesians 1. But in here in, in Romans 13, it is everything is under the heading of love. So everything falls into place underneath underneath this aspect of love. 
So to love your neighbor as yourself means no adultery, no murder, no stealing, no coveting, no, 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 etc., etc., etc. I'm not going to do anything that's going to bring any kind of harm to you. I'm not going to violate our relationship. That's how I love. It means that all the other commands fill out this content of love. They explain what love means in action and in detail. And all other law commands are then really contained within this commandment to love one another. So you get it when Jesus says, answers, what's the greatest commandment? Well, we know to love the Lord your God with everything, who I am, right? But he says, but the second one is just like it. In other words, you can't have one without the other. And we live in a society where we want to love God and hate everybody else because as long as we love God, we're good. No. The way in which you demonstrate that you love God is by loving other people. That's what he's telling us in all of this. So love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Go back to verse 8 in Romans 13. He says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has, what? Fulfilled the law. And in verse 10, Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. I mean, it follows Jesus' statement here uh, that the whole law depends on love. In Matthew 22, verse 40, remember what he said? On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Everything depends on love. Now that word depend, it means to hang on to something. All right? Let's say you've been climbing a tree. <laughs> And you slip off the branch. And all you grab is a branch. <laughs> you are depending on that branch to keep you there, right? It, it, it all falls into place on that branch. It, it, it's, like, it's like that tree branch and how it produces fruit that hangs on it, all right? And so just like a tree produces the fruit that hangs on its branches, so love produces all the laws that hang upon it. Therefore, if you have love, you keep all the commandments. Jesus even said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Ernest Gordon has written a true account of, of life during World War II in Japanese prison camp. The title of his book was called Through the Valley of the Kwai. There's a story that shows the power of this unselfish love that was displayed there. It's about a man who, who through giving everything away, literally transformed the whole camp of soldiers by his selflessness. The man's name was Angus McGillivray. Now, now Angus was he was a Scottish prisoner 
And, uh, and, and one of the camps along with the, with the Americans and the Australians and the Britons, and, and um, they'd helped to build that infamous bridge over the River Kwai, all right? But they had been captured, and they had been put in this camp in a very ugly situation. Uh, and, and, and in the camp, there began to become some divisiveness and some self-centeredness that was taking place even amongst the prisoners against one another. It became a dog-eat-dog mentality that was setting in. The allies would literally start stealing from other prisoners. And they would cheat each other. They even said that men would sleep on their packs. And while they were sleeping, someone would take their pack from underneath their head. All right? Survival was everything, and the law of the jungle prevailed until the news of Angus McGillivray's death. And when they heard about why he died, it changed everything. No one could believe that he, he died because Angus was big. I mean, if anybody was going to make it through all of this ordeal, he would be the one that would do that. He was strong, and, 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 and nobody expected him to die. But it wasn't, the, it wasn't the fact of his death that was shocked the men, but the reason of his death that really caught them off guard. And when they finally began to piece things together, well, let me kind of share with you a little bit about this. The Scottish soldiers, they had a buddy system. And so they paired off into buddies, and they were to make sure that their buddy was taken care of, all right, and, and that he survived. Angus's buddy, however, was dying. And so Angus had decided that he was going to make sure that his friend would not die. And so somebody had stolen his buddy's blanket. So Angus gave him his own blanket and told him that, that he'd just come across this blanket. And so it was an extra and he could have it. Likewise, every mealtime, Angus would give his rations to his buddy. And he would take him over to his friend and he would stand over him and make sure he ate it. And he would tell him, don't worry about me, I can always get extra. <laughs> Such a big guy, you'd think he probably could get extra. But Angus was doing everything he could to see that his buddy got whatever he needed to recover. But as Angus's buddy began to recover, all of a sudden, Angus collapsed. He slumped over and he died. They did an autopsy on him, and the surgeon, the doctor at that point, figured out what had happened. Angus died of starvation and exhaustion. He had given everything away so that this other man could live. See, he had been giving his own food and his own shelter, and he even now gave his life so this other man could live. You see, the ramifications of his acts of love and his unselfishness had a startling impact on that compound. Jesus said in John 15, verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. As word began circling throughout the prison camp of Angus, McGillivray, Angus McGillivray's death, 
the feeling of the prisoners in the camp began to change, and men began to focus on their mates and, and their friends and the humanity living beyond their survival. Right? They began to pool their talents together. One individual was a violin maker, another was an orchestra leader, another one was a cabinet maker, another one was a professor. And after a while, the camp had a full orchestra, all right, and homemade instruments. And they even started a church service, which they called Church Without Walls. This, this service became so impacting that even some of the Japanese guards began attending and giving their life to Christ. Man, it was powerful. And in time, the men began in that prison camp their own little university, a hospital, a library lending system. And the prison place was transformed and it was smothered, but, but smothered love that was just closed down, all of a sudden was everywhere, that love was prevailing in the midst of this gloom, all because of one man named Angus Milgillivray loved and died, and he gave everything he had. And for many of those men, this turnaround meant survival for them, because they were no longer living for themselves but for others. And I think what happened there is an awesome illustration of the potential that is unleashed when we begin to love one another. I mean, the gospel really is the ultimate story of, of, of that kind of love. And we see it in Jesus. If you do not understand how much God loves you, I think you're really lost. And for those of you who have a glimpse of what the love of God is like, and you've desired it for yourself, but if you're not sharing it with somebody else, I think you're missing it. I think you really don't understand what it is. He's called us to love. And he demonstrated that love for us in this. While you and I were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Would you consider dying to yourself and living for him so that the impact of your life will change the camp in which we live? It takes you acknowledging and accepting Him as Lord and Savior. Being buried in a watery grave that brings salvation and then being created as a new individual in the image of Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit making you more and more and more like Him on a daily basis as you live out love. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled that you would love us enough that we didn't even deserve it. We know we didn't deserve it. Maybe we can fool other people. 
but we can't fool you. Father, you have called us. Matter of fact, I guess I should, I should change that. You've commanded us to love. Not only you, but anybody that's near us. And Father, that is explained over and over again in your word that you've given us. The problem is sometimes we just don't know, understand how to apply it in my life. I pray that you give us guidance by reading your word, by following the example of other godly men and women. And that, Father, somehow we would love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.